Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Green Bar Sports on a Sunday morning. Goldschmidt swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Graybar, your distributor for electrical and datacom needs. Billiken win! Billiken win! Now, from the Stiefel Financial Sports Studio, Tom Ackerman. Welcome back to the show. Great to be along with you. I note that we have John Mosaylock at 11.30, that we have Chip Carey at 11.45. Sounds like baseball season's fast approaching. We'll talk some baseball for the back half hour of this 11 o'clock hour. More things that think... Uh, and remind us of warm weather would be golf. And the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am actually was suspended yesterday due to wind. Uh, There was just too much, so it's going to set up a Monday finish uh, without the amateurs. Keith Mitchell made it through the worst stretch of wind at Pebble Beach. He hit an 8-iron on the 106-yard 7th hole, and right when he thought he was off the hook by getting through the ocean holes, the horn blew to stop play. Can you imagine an 8-iron on a 106-yard hole? That's how strong that wind was. That number seven, which is one of the most famous holes in golf, it's a little par three at Pebble Beach, uh, you hit like a sand wedge there. You know, guys, you hit like a sand wedge or a gap wedge. An eight iron, these guys can hit an eight iron like, you know, 180, 190 yards when they lay into it. Um, some some guys can really hammer that club. So anyway, th- this is it, it's fun, though, to see uh, golf back at it again, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am is one of those that sort of gets us back into the mood. And then before you know it, the Masters will be here at Augusta. That happens uh, right after the Final Four. And we will get into the regular season. So golf and NASCAR and all of the things that come with warm weather. Football is not one of those. However, we do have ourselves a nice football game coming up next Sunday. We shouldn't uh, have this show without getting some thoughts on the Chiefs and the Eagles. This one will get going a week from today, Super Bowl Sunday. We'll do a lot of Super Bowl coverage next week on the show. But just taking a peek at this game, I still like the Eagles in this game. Uh, The Eagles are a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. I think that they have such a great thing going offensively right now, and their defense complements it well, that I question whether the Chiefs will be able to go against this young dynamic quarterback in Jalen Hurts and a young dynamic receiving core with a very strong running game. Uh, The Eagles have just had their way with opponents here lately. Uh, They've won the two games in the playoffs so far by a combined score of 69 to 14. Uh, They beat the Giants 38 to 7. They beat the 49ers. 49ers defense is good. Uh, they beat them 31 to 7. I'm sorry, but you cannot ignore this at this point. This Eagles team is legit. 
they beat the Giants before that, 22-16, to to wrap up the regular season. Then they went through the film. They figured it out. They played the Giants two weeks later, and they obliterated them. It's not the only team they've destroyed. They actually played the Giants before that and beat them uh, by 26, uh, 48-22. They blasted the Titans by 25. Uh, they've scored 40 on the Packers. They hung 35 on the Steelers earlier in the year. Uh, they opened the season at Detroit and scored 38 points. So they can move the football. But the thing that's been different now is their defense. Uh, their defense has really started to lock it down. And I like the Eagles by a little bit uh, over the Chiefs. I'll see if I rethink that at this time next week. Uh, I mentioned last hour when I railed on all-star games in general that there's a new system with the Pro Bowl. Let me just uh, go through this real quick. In Vegas, they say no tackle football. Uh, this time. Well, guess what? There wasn't any before that. I mean, they basically just pushed each other out of bounds. Uh, you know, it's basically flag football. So two AFC players uh, from the hometown Las Vegas Raiders weren't really sold on this. Josh Jacobs, the Raiders running back, called it stupid. He said they need to figure out a way for it to actually make sense because I don't enjoy this. Send everybody's family on vacation and call it a day. I agree with you, Josh. <laughs> I knew I liked him. Absolutely right. I mean, it's it's a dream come true for a player to go to the Pro Bowl. Don't make him look silly. You know, just put him up on stage and recognize him and let him enjoy themselves and have a vacation and get some awards, have an award ceremony. You know, forget the, forget the game. It's silly. You know, the same thing for... I don't know if I would do that for all of them, I guess, but I, I feel sort of that way. I feel very strongly about football. I mean, it just looks ridiculous out there, um, but we'll see. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's a little bit different this time around. Uh, did anyone have a favorable review of this? Oh, here, Saquon Barkley of your team, the Giants. He said it's fun. He said for a guy like me especially to participate in a flag football game in the skills challenge, I'm competitive. It makes you feel like a little kid again. And hopefully it puts smiles on fans and little kids' faces. That's fair. That's fair. I liked playing two-hand touch when we were in grade school, you know, running around out there. Now, when the parents and teachers weren't around, we were really stupid, and we played tackle football. We could have gotten hurt. That was both in seventh grade and then uh, in fifth grade. I got hurt two different times doing that. I remember in college at Indiana University, freshman year, they canceled school. And it never happens. It was like a minus 40 wind chill, minus 35 wind chill. And they said, you know, we're going to cancel school, guys. No no school today at Indiana University. So what did we do in our freshman dorms? We were idiots. We went outside and we played <laughs> tackle football. But I, I agree with uh, Saquon to an extent that that is fun. But, you know, then then go do that. Mm -hmm. Not Not for the Pro Bowl. Come on. Yeah, these guys were were put out there for their ability to hit and block and tackle, uh, not to run around in a uh, silly, you know, exhibition. But the, whatever. It's eleven twelve. It is time to talk some college basketball. Jerry Palm, he doesn't uh, mince words. He tells it like it is, whether coaches like it or not. He's going to tell you about your program next. Welcome back to the Graybar Sports on a Sunday morning. Goldschmidt swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Graybar, your distributor for electrical and datacom needs. Billikens win! 
Once again, from the Stiefel Financial Sports Studio, Tom Ackerman. Great to be back with you, and we're joined from CBS Sports. Our old friend Jerry Palm is with us on KMOX. How are you, Jerry? I'm all right. How are you? I'm great. Great to hear from you, pal. And uh, we'll talk a little bracketology, some college basketball. I know you're always breaking down the field, looking at it on a daily basis. Uh, Just friend to friend, what did you think of our teams going up against each other yesterday? Indiana knocks off Purdue. I wouldn't call that an upset necessarily. I mean, those are two longtime rivals. Indiana was favored by a point and a half. Well, yeah, I didn't really think of it as an upset either. You know, there was a lesson in that game for Purdue, and that is that you can't show up 20 minutes late to anything and expect to win. You know, you, you actually have to start playing at the beginning of the game. IU was ready and on fire, and that Doug, Purdue ended up digging too big a hole and couldn't get out. They did, and they came right back at him, and that second half, Zach Eady was unstoppable. He gets the ball in the paint. It is over. He's a 7-4 center who is on the path to be college basketball's player of the year, isn't he? Oh, yeah. I, there really isn't a good challenger at this point. Um, you know, uh, I Wilson, Jalen Wilson at Kansas is obviously having a great year, and uh, Trace Jackson Davis has come on really strong. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, those guys will probably be first team All Americans, but unless, you know, Zach just falls off in, in the, the level of production he's, he's giving, I don't see how anybody else is getting the award. I don't either, and which means that not only will he win the Wooden Award, but I think he'll win the Oscar Robertson Trophy, which is awarded by the United States Basketball Writers Association. And here in St. Louis, we do that every year. It'll be April 12th at the Missouri Athletic Club, so I expect the big fella to be here, the 7-4 Zach Eady. I can't wait to tell him that I don't like when he goes up against my team, but I respect the heck out of him. <laughs> I respect you know, he, the heck out of Purdue, period. I mean, Matt Painter's got some team. It's, it's a really well-connected team uh, on and off the court. And you can even see it like in the press conference afterwards yesterday when somebody asked Braden Smith about his one and only turnover, but the one at the end of the game uh, that ended up helping to seal it for IU. You know, so he, you know, talked about what he saw and, and you know, that it wasn't there when he uh, looked for it the second time. They uh, uh, ended up getting a steal. And, you know, but Zach Eady that grabbed the microphone and says, look, this was a team thing. You know, I did this, I did that. We all had three or four things we could have done differently and in a game that this close, you know, it's never just one play or one guy. I did see that. So, yep. Yeah. So that's, but that's kind of how this team is, you know, they're accountable to each other. Uh, and uh, just, there's a real genuine chemistry among the entire group that, uh, you don't often see. I, I hear you. It's a really, really good team. They share the ball really well. They went into a beehive there and nearly came back to beat Indiana. But like themselves, like you said, dug themselves too big of a hole. They were down 16 in the first half. They lose it uh, by a final of 79-74. Tennessee won. Uh, they beat Auburn, number two team in the country, won at 46-43. But they lost earlier in the week, Jerry. Uh, Houston plays today at Temple. Alabama won their game by 10 over LSU. They had lost uh, the previous week to Oklahoma, but they've recovered from that. Uh, Arizona's really good. They're number five. Uh, who's the best team in the country? How do you, how do you see this playing out? Uh, on Actually, it's two different questions. Who's the best team in the country, and who do you think will be number one in the AP Top 25 uh, on I have Monday? no idea <laughs> about the polls. I pay, actually pay, I pay no attention to the polls because they're not part of the bracket process. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not really 
you know, I mean, the way they kind of work, Purdue probably won't be number one in the polls, but they'll be number one in my bracket on Monday because they still have the best tournament resume, and they might even be able to take another loss and still be the overall number one. That's how big a cushion they had uh, going into this weekend. Um, I guess it depends, you know, on who they lose to for the for this next loss. But, uh, it, yeah, Purdue's definitely had the best season. Uh, if the tournament were today, they'd be the overall number one, and nobody would question it. I don't know what the polls are going to do. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to say for sure that Purdue is the best team. They're certainly having the best season, and they're obviously a great team. But there would be, uh, just like anything else, it's all about matchups when you get to the tournament. And there are probably teams that would match up pretty well with Purdue, especially, I think, really athletic teams uh, that can, you know, maybe shut down Purdue's perimeter and don't care if that gets, you know, 40 um, and, uh, you know, teams like that might be difficult matchups for Purdue. So there's always there's, – there's no dom- – I mean, Purdue has had a dominant season, but they're, they're not so much better than everybody else that they just can't be had on a given day, as we just saw. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you see – and I, I think Purdue – personally, I would still have Purdue as number one. I, I think that's a tough game for them to win. It's, it's a great rivalry game. Uh, they gave it their best go. I don't see Tennessee, Houston, Alabama, Arizona – anybody else better than them. Um, but yeah, like you said, the polls are the polls. Um, who do you see? Right. Uh, who are you sitting on right now? Um, I don't, I don't want to have you reveal your bracket since we still have games today. <laughs> You're you got, not done with it yet. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> kind of, what have you been, what have you been kind of circling around lately as one seeds? Well, um, Purdue obviously is going to be the overall number one and Alabama has had a terrific year. Uh, and then you're looking at teams like Kansas, Texas, Tennessee, Houston, Arizona. Actually, I had Arizona as a one on Monday, and and they won again uh, this week. So uh, you know we'll see how that goes because you know Texas picked up a great win at Kansas State on Saturday, and you know I think Arizona beat Oregon State, which is arguably the worst team in the Pac-12, or certainly in that conversation. So you know it sometimes you can unlike the polls you can win and lose ground uh, because of what other teams are doing around you. And there's a chance that could happen to Arizona this week. Interesting, isn't it, that you see Duke and North Carolina unranked and playing each other in what is considered to be the top rivalry in college basketball. Where do you see, as I skip down to those two, where do you see Duke and North Carolina sitting right now? Well, I had Duke, I think, as a six in Monday's bracket or maybe a seven thereabouts. And Carolina was in the eight, nine game somewhere. And that's just the kind of year they're having. And, and the ACC is down again. You know, it was historically bad last year. I don't know if it's quite that bad this year, but you're still looking at one good team. Like last year, that team was Duke. This year, that team's Virginia. And, you know, Virginia might be a four on Monday in my bracket. So at least Duke was in the, you know, two to three range most of last year. Virginia might not even be that high, but there's, or eight teams in the tournament, but they might own the bottom half of the bracket. It's clear that the Big 12 is the best conference right now. You have a lot of Big 12 teams up there. Kansas, uh, at last check, was one of your top seeds. I know Texas is right in there. K-State's had a really good year. Uh, If the Big 12 is the best right now, who's right behind them? There is no right behind them, but the second best is the Big 10. I mean, there's a gap between the Big 12 and everyone else. That, That league has got nine of its 10 teams in the top 50 of the net, and Texas Tech is not that far behind. So 
there's no Minnesota, there's no Oregon State, there's no Vanderbilt. There's just no bottom to that league, and that that's why I looked at Kansas's remaining schedule before the the game they just played uh, at Iowa State. They had nothing but quad one games left on their schedule except a home game with Texas Tech. That's it. They're gonna they're gonna play eight more quad one games between now and the conference tournament. It's it's just crazy how loaded that league is. And it, you know the the problem with that is you still can't take everybody because you know, somebody's not going to have a good enough record to get picked. And and results matter. And if you're in a, a really tough league like that, somebody's going to finish eighth, ninth, tenth, and those teams are probably not going to make it. Um, the Oklahoma teams, West Virginia and Texas Tech, are the most likely at the moment. But there's still a month to go, and anything could happen. But yeah, that's a that's a really difficult league. And I've had six teams in the top 16 of my bracket for about a week or two now, and it's uh, that that would be really unusual to have more than four from one league. Wow, uh, Illinois coming out of the Big Ten still in a pretty good position as, as uh, they continue to. Uh, play out their schedule. They lost to Iowa yesterday. Missouri has had an up-and-down year where they look like a world beater, and then they can't hit buckets from the outside or inside in yesterday's case, and they lose to Mississippi State. Where do you see Illinois and Mizzou? Yeah, Illinois is still in pretty good shape. I guess it's uh, it's a shame the Orange Crush couldn't go. That might have been the difference for them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Illinois is in pretty good shape. They're in the top 25, 4, 5, 60 kind of team. Uh, probably going forward, that was just probably their ceiling. They just they don't play well together enough to probably make a run at a higher spot in the bracket. Uh, Mizzou's having a really good year, uh, unexpectedly good. I had them as a five before they lost to Mississippi State. They'll probably come down a line or two from that. But um, you know, this is a team that's that's you know borderline top twenty-five right now, and uh, I don't know if they can sustain that through the rest of this season. We'll find out, but. Uh, Dennis Gates' first year is off to a really good start. And then finally, uh, with the A-10 slew, uh, Missouri Valley Conference, Southern Illinois. I'm naming off teams that have of local interest, Missouri State also, uh, taking on Southern Illinois. Uh, the OVC has SAUE, uh, Lindenwood's uh, near the bottom of that, but Southeast Missouri State's been battling. Are those all one-bid leagues uh, in your mind, Jerry? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and the surprise there is that it's the A-10 to one-bid league, because normally, I mean, the Ohio Valley and and lately, the Missouri Valley has been one bid league, but the Atlantic Ten uh, to only be a one bid league is really surprising. They're usually good for three or four teams every year, and they got off to such a bad start in non conference play, and some some of the better teams had key injuries that that probably hampered that. But there's nothing you can really do about it now. That that's going to be a one bid league, and uh, Slew is part of that picture. Uh, BCU, maybe Dayton uh, as well uh, as part of you know, the favorites in that league. I think BCU's at first at the moment, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it'll be competitive at the top, but it'll be a one bid league. And then, you know, they're going to have a chance to win their, at least their first game. Uh, whoever gets in there. Jerry, I appreciate you, pal, more than you know, and uh, you'll probably be getting a call from me as we get closer to selection Sunday, if not before that, but I really appreciate right. you joining us. Uh, anytime, Tom. Thanks. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports, with us on Sports on a Sunday Morning, the Gray Bar Sports on a Sunday Morning. We'll be back with John Mosaylock next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the John Mazaloc Conversation on KMOX. Sponsored by your Gateway Acura dealers, Munkadass St. Louis Acura, and Frank Lita Acura on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. It is great to have the Cardinals president of baseball operations with us on these Sunday mornings. John Mozalock is with us on a beautiful day in St. Louis. How are you, John? Good morning, bringing the energy. Impressive. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm ready to go. Let's let's get the Cardinals going here this year and uh, get some baseball back because you know I was thinking about this and chatting about it the other day. Is I personally haven't had a full spring training since 2019. Most haven't. Uh, 2020 we were cut short due to COVID. 2021 I was restricted. Our company really restricted travel. Not a lot of people were able to access from a media standpoint or from a fan standpoint the team like they normally knew. And then last year, the lockout, uh, everybody was scrambling to get down there. Boy, it's nice to be able to, to know what's going on finally. Yeah, it's uh, certainly exciting to have some normalcy back. Um, I think most people, uh, well, actually a lot of players have already started to descend on Jupiter and our truck leaves tomorrow. So by the end of the week, uh, it'll, it'll really look uh, a lot different in Jupiter for, for, for many of us. And, you know, obviously on, on Monday we get it going and uh, it should be fun. A lot of guys down there already uh, starting to get some workouts in and get going. And, you know, it's exciting to see uh, competition. And I think that's probably the theme of this spring training is that you have a lot of players that are going to be competing and you have a lot to evaluate. Plus the World Baseball Classic makes things a little interesting and, and makes some more availability for that, doesn't it? Yeah, so I, I think competition is a fair word to use, but I also feel like it's it's a lot about being defined by opportunity because when you when you're going to have a, a portion of your club that that's not there, it's going to create a lot more opportunity for other people to play, um, especially in sort of the, the the heart of spring training. So, it'd be really interesting to to 
to watch. And I think like for people that are like prospect Hawks, they're really going to enjoy this camp. Um, I think there's going to be some times when people get down there and they, they don't see the names that they're normally used to seeing. And they might be a little disappointed from time to time, but I think overall the excitement of, of, of what this camp will look like and the type of energy you'll see, um, I think we're all looking forward to it. Yeah, let's discuss some of those names, if you if you don't mind. I mean, obviously the marquee guy when it comes to prospects is Jordan Walker. He's considered to be a top-five player in, in terms of prospects in all of baseball. When you look at Jordan Walker and his opportunity, what do you see? Well, I think he's going to get a lot of playing time because, you know, uh, the final rosters haven't come out as far as, as what um, each federation's doing, but I would guess Tyler O'Neill will likely be on the Canadian team. I would assume that Lars will end up making the Japanese club. So, you know, that that's two regular outfielders that, that won't be there. So therefore, you know, some of these younger guys are going to get a chance and, you know, obviously you asked about Jordan Walker. So he's going to get a lot of opportunity at the major league camp this year, but you know, you're also going to see guys like Burleson and Yepes also, um, getting a lot more bats than maybe they might have normally gotten with these guys not uh, being here. So I think the excitement around those guys is going to be fun to watch. But, you know, clearly for people that aren't all that familiar with Jordan Walker, they're going to get a lot of opportunities to see him play this spring. I'm very uh, intrigued by Burleson. Uh, how did you see his year last year, the adjustment uh, coming up to the big leagues and, and how he reacted to that? Well, I think um, two things. I, I always feel like when you bring a young player up and you use them sporadically, that becomes really difficult for them to find success. Um, you know, think back to, to guys like Matt Adams when we were always like desperately looking for a left-handed bat off the bench. But when he was a young player, uh, you know, sp- especially still developing at the minor leagues, I, I never really wanted to bring him up here just to get four or five at bats. And I think in Burleson's case, um, had some struggles early, then sporadic usage, and then ultimately, when you look at his overall numbers, it just wasn't what he hoped for. Now, you know, he did hit into some some bad luck, um, so you know that's encouraging. Um, I, I think he's someone that you, you're going to see a lot more out of this year. I'm, um, I think from just a pure like baseball slash like scouting side, I think you're going to see what a lot of people thought we were getting when we brought him up last year. And then there's, and you mentioned him, Juan Yepes. Uh, you know, when you think about a player that maybe not enough people are talking about, it's probably Yepes and Nolan Gorman. Um, but Yepes hit a home run in the playoffs. I mean, it, just to remind people, he got on a tear in, last year in the big leagues. I mean, he was one of the better right-handed hitters on this team for a time period. Um, what is he like as a defender? Uh, I, we know that he's a candidate to to get some DH at bats, but where do you see him uh, in the field from that aspect? Well, obviously, I, I think, you know, defense is, is one of his, not his strengths, um, but, you know, I do think he can spot start. And, you know, I think that can create some, some more at bats for him ultimately. But, you know, like everybody goes into camp, I think, with, with, with something they want to focus on. I still think, you know, he'll always be defined by how he swings the bat. So that should be focus number one. But then we'll make sure we move him around both on the dirt and, and in the grass just to, to give us some protection. 
And, you know, ultimately, um, if he hits, we'll find a place for him to play. And I feel that kind of applies to Gorman, too. And Gorman was really impressive, I thought, at second base. And I know a lot of people felt the same way. Uh, but that he can he can hit. Yeah, I would disagree a little bit. I okay. think defensively he can, you know, he, he can be an everyday second baseman. Um, I don't think it's, it's, you know, quote, like a weakness. I think, you know, obviously um, – Playing and, and having regular um, at bats is something that I think a young player like him also needs because I think like when he wasn't getting used, then I think he was putting a lot more pressure on himself on the, when he got to the plate to try to make something happen. But you got to remind yourself on, on Gorman, he's still very young, um, but you know he's he's super competitive, super driven, and um, you know he's expecting to break camp as our starting second baseman. So I mean he's. Uh, that's how his mentality is, and you know that's what you expect out of players that ultimately uh, perform well in this league. I uh, can't disagree with it. I mean, I, I think that he played the position well. I think that he has uh, the makeup to be a, a terrific player. I know that you all feel the same way. That's why you've always spoken very highly of him. Um, staying in the infield, Donovan and Edmund, we know what they can do, which it really is amazing, isn't it, that we just sort of put Donovan in this category of like a big league veteran. What a season he had. I mean, really. I mean, if you look back and think about where we were a year ago, you told us on this show, John, I, I, I always say that you're the one who said, I, I would advise people to keep an eye on Brendan Donovan, and it turned out to be true. Well, you know, like, we get to see these guys a little differently than most people in our fan base or, or someone like yourself, but he's a guy that just, uh, you know, he's a blue collar player. He works hard. He, he knows his strengths. He knows his weaknesses, but you know, when you look at, at what he did for us last year, I think, I think our club in general just had great appreciation for how the guy played. And, um, you know, never complained, moved him everywhere, asked him to hit all different places in the lineup. And, you know, he just found ways to have success. So what you're really hoping for when, when you when you take a hard look at him is, is this something that he can build on or is what we saw, you know, sort of the ceiling? And um, as you know, I never like to talk about ceilings because I think players will always surprise you. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for really big things from him this year. I'm really looking forward to it. And then staying in the middle infield, Mason Wynn. Now I know a lot gets made of his arm and we saw him fire one, hundred miles an hour in that futures game, uh, that got everyone's attention. We know he is a great athlete, terrific athleticism and hard worker, maybe not as well known as his power. He has some pop. Does he not? He definitely has some strength. I think, you know, like, why doesn't he get maybe more um, recognition given what you're seeing out of Walker? And I think it's really mostly because of, of the offensive contribution so far. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against this guy from an offensive standpoint. I think he, he really um, was, was really impressive last year, especially at double A. And so I, I think, you know, he's starting to understand – what he's capable of doing. He understands his swing. Now you got to remind yourself he too is only 21 years old. So there's still some development going there, but really a a toolsy player. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, when you talk about like getting to see prospects, he's someone that we're going to get a lot, lot to look at this spring. So um, I think that'll be exciting. And I think that way we'll have a pretty good idea of exactly what he needs to do this year. And, you know, it wouldn't be shocking if he's, you know, knocking on the door, 
Um, well, maybe the other way to say it is pounding on the door come 2024. But in the meantime, um, I think he's going to open up a lot of eyes and, and, and really establish himself as, as a frontline prospect. Pitchers and catchers report in little over a week. Let's talk about those as we close out with John Mozalak. And again, we love and appreciate this time. Uh, the pitching, we've talked about the rotation, but also the depth. And I think that's intriguing. It's a two-part question. One, uh, where do you see that depth at the moment? I know we've gone through it, but if if we can, when it comes to backing up this five-man rotation. Secondly, What's your philosophy on adding pitching um, as you go along or, or evaluating? Are you always open to doing that if you need to? No, sure. So the, the touch on that second question first. I mean, you're, you, you, you never stop looking to improve your club. I mean, that's, that's just a 12-month-a-year process. But you, you have to weigh that against what you already have. And so when, when you look at what we're bringing in the camp, and, and obviously I think everybody would agree, you have Michaelis, Flaherty, Montgomery, Matts, and Wayno, and then Dakota Hudson on the outside looking in. But, you know, we'll see what we have there. But then you have guys like Packy Naughton, Volante, Connor Thomas, Dak Thompson, Jake Woodford and Drew Verhagen all looking for starting innings. So there's going to be a lot of stress on the coaching staff to try to manage how all that works out in camp. One thing that's going to allow us a little bit more flexibility is both Wayno and Michaelis will likely be in the WBC. So that's going to create innings for other people. But so when you, when you think about that, that group I just touched on, obviously not all of them are going to be able to start, but clearly giving them a look at innings is going to be critical over the seven-week camp. I'll admit that Packy Naughton's not a name that I had considered for that list, but I'm glad to hear you say that. And then Drew Verhagen definitely is. I had an interesting talk with him, John, at, at the winter warm-up. He said, hey, I want a shot at that rotation. Uh, he, w- where is he now as compared to when he was dealing with some of his struggles uh, from a physical standpoint? Well, I think he came into camp last year um, not feeling 100%, but like many players, they, you know, it was a short one, abbreviated camp, and they had to get it going and, and, and tried to fight through some things. But over time, it just uh, he, he had to end up pulling the cord and, and having surgery. So I think he's coming into this camp feeling healthy, feeling confident. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what he's capable of doing. I mean, when you, when you sort of like take a step back and you say, does someone actually look the part? I mean, by definition, he does. I mean, he's tall, broad shouldered, has a lot of strength. Um, obviously when you look at him from an analytical standpoint, like spin rate velocity, he's right up there in, in, in an elite group. So, you know, hopefully we can combine all that, have him with the, the self-confidence that he's ready to compete and, can't wait to see what we have with him. Yeah, Verhagen's definitely that prototypical Cardinals pitcher, that big, tall guy who throws strikes. Um, finally, catcher, uh, we know Wilson Contreras. We know Andrew Kisner and his capability of being a, a good, reliable receiver. Where do you see Yvonne Herrera's development right now? Well, I think uh, this is, too, an important camp for him. Um, you know, obviously got some major league time last year. Has to uh, um, establish understanding communication with his pitchers, understanding what's expected from a defensive standpoint. And then also, you know, he's a young player that I think when he struggled at the play, he let it affect his entire game. And, you know, historically at the minor league level, he has been an offensive catcher. So I think he expects himself to hit. 
we hope he's an offensive uh, catcher when he gets his opportunity. But I would say he's still in that development stage. But I will say um, from an organizational standpoint, we're still very bullish on him. I appreciate this time very much. I know we went through a lot there and covered a lot of ground, but that is extremely helpful as we get ready for pitchers and catchers reporting. I'll be down in March. Uh, Matt Pauley will be down. Klaibs is already there. We're ready to go. February 25th, first game on KMOX. Thank you for this time, John. All right. See you, Tommy. John Mosellock with us. Great to have Mo on KMOX Radio. It's 1147. Chip Carey, the television voice of the St. Louis Cardinals on Bally Sports Midwest, next. Welcome back to the Graybar Sports on a Sunday morning. Goldschmidt swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Graybar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Billikens win! Billikens win! Once again, from the Stiefel Financial Sports Studio, Tom Ackerman. Thank you very much. And let's turn things over now to Matt Pauley and Mike Claiborne. Well, it became official this past week. The new television voice of the St. Louis Cardinals is Chip Carey. Comes back to St. Louis. He graduated high school in St. Louis. He is a St. Louis native. Spent a long time with the Atlanta Braves. Prior to that, he was working with the Chicago Cubs. And now he is back home in St. Louis. And uh, he joins us right now. Chip, thank you so much for uh, taking some time here on the program. Just what is your excitement level right now as uh, you begin kind of the uh, the next chapter of your journey? Oh, man, sky high. Still can't believe it's real. Uh, grateful to so many people who helped me along the way. And uh, look, uh, to come back home and call games for the team that uh, helped me fall in love with baseball as a kid growing up in West County in St. Louis. It's a dream come true. And life comes full circle, man. It took me three decades plus to figure out that St. Louis is where I was supposed to be. So all that tells you is I'm a real slow learner, but I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad to be coming home. <laughs> well, Chip, uh, first of all, welcome home. Um, I know it's been an interest- interesting journey. I was telling Matt earlier, I think we first crossed paths when you were doing Orlando Magic basketball. So that, that's been yeah, a long time exactly. ago. And between Orlando and Seattle and Chicago and Atlanta, it- it's amazing what this industry will do for us as far as being able to see the world and, and meet so many people along the way. So when did it finally hit you that I'm a, I'm a Cardinal broadcaster? Because, you know, once it sets in, it's a little bit of a different situation compared to when they first tell you, all right, you're going to be our guy. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, when uh, Larry Mago at Valley Midwest called me and said, I, I just wanted to call and see what's going to take for us to bring you back home. And, you know, after I, I almost started crying because I was so excited about the possibilities of this, that's when it really started to hit home. And then all the wonderful things that people have written, both in Atlanta and St. Louis. I, I mean, my family's really, Mike, just overwhelmed, not just with uh, what's been a real positive uh, reception and reaction, but just, as I said, so many people, you included, who have helped me along the way here. I, I, the old saying, it takes a village, really is true. And to your point about uh, seeing the world and making connections, that's really what it's all about. And uh, so many people who I can't possibly name in a short segment like this uh, are responsible for helping opening doors for me, and I'll forever be grateful for that. And as I said a moment ago, I, I just can't wait to get started. And every day I wake up and pinch myself and say, is this real? Well, it is. I'm going to baseball heaven, and I can't be more grateful for that than, than I am. You come from a fantastic place with great baseball fans, and I saw the newspaper article where you said St. Louis is the only place that that you're leaving for that. Can you just go through that a little bit and what it is about St. Louis that gets you away from Atlanta? 
Well, you know, even when you're born in St. Louis and you're raised there, heck, I was conceived there. I mean, that's my old joke after a game at Sportsman's Park, uh, probably. I don't want to get too personal, but that's probably if you do the math. Um, you know, I, I come from an era where you knew the 64 Cardinals lineup before you knew the alphabet. You know, McCarver, White, uh, Grote, Javier, Boyer, Brock, Shannon, Flood. Okay, there you go. And Bob Gibson. I mean, that that's the kind of stuff we were raised on. And you know, when you'd go to a game at Bush Stadium and you saw Lou Brock play, you saw Bob Gibson pitch. My guy was Ted Simmons. Uh, you know, I went through some some years where the Cardinals weren't so good, but they were always entertaining because the fans were so passionate about the way the game was played. You know, coming in as a visiting broadcaster, seeing 42,000 people, 45,000 people on a Thursday afternoon game against a second division club, and they still packed the house, not just with rabid fans, but grandfathers and grandmothers, mothers and fathers, their kids in tow, their grandkids in tow, all wearing Cardinals jerseys and cheering for both teams because they're so passionate about and love the game. And I think that's the genesis for all of us who work behind a microphone. We love the game, no matter the team we work for. But uh, something about Cardinal baseball is so special because you're taught it from an early age. You're nurtured to appreciate the franchise, the great players who come and gone, the broadcasters and executives. We stand on the shoulders of Giants, both as employees and as fans, and I fully recognize that, and I'm grateful to uh, to represent the Redbirds uh, once again. You know, you make a great point about everybody who's in the game. They love the game, but I think the, the caveat here is it's great to love the game, but when you have a team that you can love because of their success, that makes right. the job even better uh, because well, there are right. a lot of guys who work in markets where they've got no chance, all right? But Correct. they love the right. game. But, man, right. they, they, they stand from a distance, <clears throat> excuse me, and they admire a St. Louis or an Atlanta or L.A. And, and teams have had tradition and had success on the field. Uh, it, it's a big difference. Yeah, winning is fun. I mean, look, we're all cheerleaders for the teams we work for. We want, we want them to do well. But as you know, Mike, it's a different mindset when you go to the ballpark every day expecting to have a great chance to win the game as opposed to, hey, I hope we can keep it close so that we don't lose our minds in the third inning and have to fill for three hours, right? I mean, that's just the nature of, of the business. But you're right. There's a standard of excellence in every facet of the organization. Uh, and the same is true in Atlanta. These are gold standard places. But the one caveat for me was St. Louis. It's where I was born. It's where my family still is there. My, my mom is still there, aunts and uncles, cousins and the like, dear friends. Uh, that was the difference between the two places. And I'm forever grateful for what the Braves did for me and my dad over 46 years uh, down south at uh, Truist Park and Turner Field. That is Chip Carey, the television voice of the St. Louis Cardinals on Bally Sports Midwest, joining Matt Pauley and Mike Claiborne on Countdown to Opening Day. Wanted to make sure that our Sports on a Sunday Morning audience heard part of that in case you didn't. You can always hear the full conversations at KMOX.com. All of our shows are podcasts, including this one, which we appreciate your listenership through the years. Sports on a Sunday Morning's podcast does really well. And our thanks to Graybar. Graybar has stepped in. They are now the new title sponsor of Sports on a Sunday Morning and Sports Open Line, which you can hear weeknights at 6 with Matt Pauley. Mike Claiborne also jumps in there. Countdown to opening day is the two of them on Wednesday nights. This Tuesday night, we will have Travis Ford and the Billikens taking on Rhode Island. Monday nights are typically his coach's show at 6 o'clock. Tuesday 8 o'clock tip for SLU in Rhode Island. If you want to hear Travis Ford, I thought he was great today. That was at 10.30. John Mosaloc, also great today. That was at 11.30. We heard from Chris Blair. We heard from Jerry Palm. I'm Tom Ackerman. Thanks to producer Drew Young. 
And the news is next. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 